This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Well, good morning, everybody. So glad to share some time with you today. If we have not had a chance to meet yet, my name is Kevin. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life, and I get to guide us for the next 35 to 40 minutes as we continue to engage with God. And I want to welcome you. If it's your first time, welcome to New Life. If you've been traveling for the summer, welcome back. If you are back for college, welcome Sonoma State friends and Santa Rosa JC friends who are back in. Just so, so glad to share some time with you. One of the things that you're going to find out about New Life is that we believe that when we gather together, we should all start at a very similar starting place. While we have a diversity of backgrounds, age, gender, ethnicity, spiritual journey, and practices, we think that the church should start us off on level ground and move us somewhere together. And one of the really practical ways that we do that is we give you one of these programs when you walk in to help you get on the same page with everybody else. This will tell you a little bit about us. This is a way that you can stay connected to us. In fact, there's this card that says, start here. And on the back of it, you can ask questions. You can write down a prayer request. Even if you would say, I mean, I don't know if I'm, I'm the praying type. I want to tell you, we believe that there is a God, and he's not some distant deity that hangs out over there that started the world, set it into motion, and left us to our own devices, but that God actually interacts with us in the world. And so our pastoral team loves to pray for you. So if you have a prayer request, you could write that down. We'd be honored to take you uh, before God and just kind of and spend some time in prayer for you. There's a blank note sheet that's got the topic for our brand new teaching series that we're diving into. By the way, when you look at this note sheet, Uh, If you think, I'm not so sure, I want to have a conversation with my kids about these topics right now, this would be a great time to try out our children's ministries. So I'm saying that, so you've got a good five minutes to decide what you want to do in your next steps as we head into our new series. Because if, like my children, your kids saw this and said, what's that middle word mean, Dad? Um, That might be a good indicator to you that you have two options. One, a great conversation coming at lunch. Or two, a great opportunity to put your kids in children's ministry. So you've been warned. Do what you want to do. Uh, The note sheet will help you kind of take what we've heard, uh, write down some of your thoughts, some questions you have, maybe get together with a friend for coffee this week and dive into that. Uh, We're also going to receive an offering in just a second. So we have an envelope inside the program because we believe that generosity matters. Generosity of kind of our personhood, of our time, and of our resources Uh, in a minute. We're going to pray for some friends in southern India. I don't know if you've been watching the global news, but we believe at New Life that we are a small part of a global community. And so we partner around the world. We've got some friends in southern India in the state of Kerala, which is experiencing the worst flood in over a hundred years. We've got friends there that because of your generosity, we support with their school, with an orphanage, with about 30 different churches in three different states in southern India, with a a training school for pastors, and we're going to pray for them. But I want you to know that when you give, it impacts you because you come and you engage with God. It impacts our community in Sonoma County because we're creating space for people to engage with God. But it makes ripples around the world and and even into into eternity. So uh, I want to invite you, give generously. Be part of this movement. You You can text to give. You can give online. You can use this envelope. When the uh, guest services team comes forward, they'll pass some baskets, and we're going to drop in the offering envelope. We'll drop in that Start Here card, and we will continue our time together. But right now, I'd like to pray, and 
Uh, if you are a praying person, you can agree with me in prayer. If you're not a praying person, maybe you would just allow us some space. Uh, you are at a church service, so uh, we're going to just, we're going to pray that, um, boy, that, that people would find safety. There are still people, I, I've read stories, up in trees waiting to be rescued because these floods are so horrific in southern India. There are people on houses, and there's just so much uncertainty. And in Sonoma County, we know what it feels like to experience times of uncertainty. The fires showed us how fragile life can be. And so as one community of faith, we want to pray for another community that we may never meet this side of eternity, but every single life really, really matters. So I'm going to pray, and then our guest services team will come. And while they do, you can watch a little video to prep us for our new series. Would you join me as we pray? God, we are, we're concerned. Uh, our minds, our thoughts, our hearts, are for our friends, our global community in southern India, not only the people who we partner with financially and through prayer, with the orphanage, the school, and these various churches, but for all people. God, would you be, uh, would you be bringing rescue workers to care for those who are stranded, to get them to places of safety? God, would you do what only you can do, which is bring comfort when the world around you is, is around us is so uh, in turmoil, God, would you do that? And would you, would you make these waters recede? Would you cease the rains and would you cause the floods to drop down? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So you can drop in your offering and you can drop in your Start Here card and take a look at the screens. So you might be asking, why, why this series? Where did this come from? And I want to share with you that this series came from some thoughts that had been percolating in my brain since I was in my early 20s, kind of exploring singleness and ministry and trying to figure out. I was leading a college ministry, and I'll tell you some stories where I really ticked off a lot of people in college with some of my ideas. But it came from that. They came from, as I read the Bible, kind of exploring different concepts of singleness and relationships, and they came from a book uh, titled The New Rules for Love, Sex, and Dating. And so if I say something in this series that intrigues you, that sparks your interest, that you think, boy, I, I'd really like to dive into that some more, grab that book and read it with a few of my friends, I'd invite you, grab the book. If you've got a daughter heading off to college, uh, then you should buy this book because at Thanksgiving— Every year, freshman girls do what's called the turkey drop, where they drop their high school boyfriends. They drop the turkey uh, because they've seen the world. And so if you're just waiting for Thanksgiving for the turkey drop, maybe buy this. And then when she or he comes home and they're single, like, oh, my heart is broken. You could say, I've got this great book. And I think you'd really enjoy it. So just a thought, just a thought. Why singles? Well, in March, we did a survey of our church on a Sunday and found that just under half of our gathering is single, is single again, or is widowed. 
But whenever I talk about relationships, I always talk to married couples. And I hope that our singles will be able to translate the things that I'm saying. And I do my best to help it be relatable and translatable. But I realized, you know what, this time I'm going to talk to the other half of the room. And I'm going to hope and expect that our married couples will translate it into your marriages. While I'm talking to singles, I'm telling you, married couples, uh, you might have to do some backtracking and some back work, but this series could be so powerful for you. Now, I want to say right up front as I dive into this, because I was a single person living in the church world, working in the church world, and experiencing the questions that people ask single people unintentionally in churches, which is, what's wrong with you? Now, I want to tell you right up front, singles— I'm not trying to get you to be unsingle. That's not my goal. There is not, not only nothing wrong with singleness, singleness is a gift. In fact, this guy who we come and we sing about each week named Jesus, single. This dude named Paul who wrote over half of the New Testament, probably the most influential person in the early church, single. When we read the stories of the New Testament of the Bible, it actually trends towards singleness. So if you're here and you're single and and close to half of us are, you are fully, fully embraced and a part of our community. So much so that I want you to know we have single women and men in every level of leadership in our church, including the highest levels of leadership around me, the team that kind of covers over me. In fact, um, there's a single woman who is the head of the team that is the covering over me. So I just want to say that because so often in the church— Singles, I don't know. There's just a thing, right? Come on, some singles nod with me. Help me out. There's just kind of this like, meh, there's just, no, no, no. The church got it wrong. I'm sorry. You're awesome. Okay, now, all right. That being said, if you're single and you ever want to be unsingle, if you're single and you, uh, if you're single again, let's say, and you think someday I'd like to be unsingle, if you're in a committed relationship and you sense it moving in a certain direction, this series is for you. If you're living together and you think, boy, things seem to be working out, we might want to move towards marriage. Uh, you know, he likes it, so we ought to put a ring on it. Like, if you are there, this series is for you. If you are a serial dater, playa. This series is not for you. It's not. If, if she comes to you or he comes to you and says, I want to have a define the relationship talk, and you said you just did, the definition is the relationship is over, this series is not for you. But someday, in 10 years, in 20 years, when you decide, you know what, no, I, I'd like to move towards a committed relationship. I hope you'll remember this series because— Let's just be honest, gut fellas, and I'll just talk to you. In our 20s and our 30s, it's super, you know, it's fun to be single and go to the bar and be like, hey, but nobody wants to be that guy in their 60s. (laughs) And the women in their 30s are laughing at you behind your back because you're still pegging your pants. You know what I mean? You're like, hey, no, 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 no. And there's going to be a point. There's going to be a point when you're going to want to move from serial dating to, and if you want to, and I'm not saying you have to. Because, again, the narrative of the Bible actually promotes singleness as an excellent way to live. But if you want to, this series is for you. Now, 
to start off our conversation, and this conversation will be four weeks. The way that we, we roll out a series is we talk about it for four, six, eight weeks. We hit a certain topic from different angles, see what God has to say about it, and then we move on to the next thing. But to start off our conversation, I want to tell you about something that seems to be true in life, but especially in dating. And it's this reality, that the present today will be the past, but it will present itself in your future. Your present someday will be your past, a story that you tell. But isn't it true that our past has a way, picture it like an invisible bungee cord with our past attached to it. As we walk into our future, our past has a way of eventually bungeeing forward into our future. And I want to talk to you because I've been a pastor for 15 years now. I know. I started when I was nine. <laughs> that used to work before I went bald. Not anymore. Being a pastor for 15 years means that I've officiated a lot of weddings, and I had a perfect track record for the first three years. Every couple I married was still married. But over the last 15 years, I've seen some marriages end in heartbreak. And I've seen friends who were at one point happily married get divorced. And the reality is, even though I've seen marriages fall apart, I want to say something that you might not agree with, but I'm telling you, it's the truth, whether you agree or not. I've never seen, I've seen plenty of marriages dissolve, fall apart, end in heartbreak, relationships end. I've never seen a couple with marriage problems. Never. What I've seen is a person with person problems. And then they marry another person who also has person problems, and they bring their person problems into their marriage, and then they they look at their spouse and they think, wow, there's a lot of problems. I know what the problem is. We have marriage problems. But it's actually not a, a marriage problem issue. It's the reality that our present someday becomes our past, but it often presents itself in our future. And here's why this problem's such a big deal. Because All of us. Media tells us this. We hear that story that that breaks all the odds. It tells us this. Music tells us this. Oh man, 90s romantic comedies tell us this. Don't even get me started. We'll talk about that in a minute. They they tell us uh, that if I just find the right person, everything's going to be all right. I, I call it the right person myth. The right person myth became popular in the late 90s and early 2000s when I was doing college ministry because of movies like Sweet Home Alabama, uh, The Notebook, Serendipity. What's the right person myth? The right person myth is this. If I marry the right person, everything will be all right. That the goal of singleness is to find the right person. I remember sitting with a group of uh, college freshmen, women and men. It was the fall, and I was the college pastor up at Sonoma State, and we were watching The Notebook. And everyone's watching the notebook, and oh my gosh, you could hear. Some of you, I might be in the room with me right now when I first coined this phrase. Um, You could just hear the women's hearts beating out of their chest. They were like, oh, that's what I want. I want it it to be raining, and him to grab me in his arms, and I want swans to fly by. As the cameras spin and the rain comes down, and he plants a big wet one on me. Oh, it's so romantic. 
But here's the, uh, the rest of that story. Remember, if you remember the notebook, and maybe you don't, but if you remember the notebook, she, this woman who all the women in this group, and most of the men, if they're honest, were saying the same thing, she was engaged to another man who was sitting at home scared to death that his wife was in a ditch somewhere in a car accident, calling all of her friends, checking on her while she's having this moment with the cameras spinning and the rain coming down and the swans flying and she's kissing some yokel that she had a a fling with in the summer. And that's true love. And we got to the end of the movie and everyone's like, oh. And I looked at them and I said, you guys, this is emotional porn. And it was like, what? And immediately they were all mad. I mean, men and women, to a person, everyone's mad. And I said, listen, and we'll talk about this in a few weeks. Porn turns people into objects. And it turns real intimacy into something that can never be achieved. And in the same way, romantic comedies turn real relationships Marriage that has ups and downs, it turns them into this picture that could, could never act. It's, it's like porn for our souls. The notebook doesn't happen. In the notebook, that poor guy, which by the way, way better looking in my humble but correct opinion, <laughs> and super cool with a great high paying job, is left heartbroken, but we don't care about him. Forget him. Sweet Home Alabama, by the way, is even worse. If you remember that, she leaves her fiancé at the altar. And it's Dr. McDreamy. I can't believe it. It's like, what? But we're like, yay. Is it, the, it might be the same guy in both. I don't know. It's like some yokel again. I was like, I don't, what's wrong with you people? I'll never send my wife to her hometown. Too many yokels. So you got to be careful. But that's not real life. In real life, that story is heartbreaking. That story is baggage. In real life, finding the right person, and this is, this is what we, this is, listen, this is what we're told is how it works. If I can just find the right person, if I can just find the right person, everything's going to be all right. So we go on the hunt, we go on the prowl, we look around, we, we, we get ourselves all attractive, so we can find the right person. And what happens? How do we know we found the right person? Chemistry. It's like the, ooh, ah, ah, chemistry, where she's like, I can't keep my eyes off him, and he's like, I can't keep my hands off her, and it's, no, I told you, send your kids. Chemistry. Chemistry's not bad. Listen, if it wasn't for chemistry, I don't know if anyone would ever get married, honestly. Chemistry's not bad. It's the thing that drives us together. Oh, I love how particular she is. She's always pointing things out. You know? Sofa chemistry. Mm. I I love what a free spirit he is. He just whisks me away and doesn't really care about a budget. But then what happens? We get married because of chemistry. And a few years later, the chemistry starts to wane because real life starts to set in. And then one of the couple has this great idea. The chemistry, things are getting hard. The chemistry is not there. You know what we should do? We should make a baby. It's a great idea because if we can make a baby, it will glue us together and then the chemistry will be so much stronger. 
And so you make a baby, and he's like, hey, I'm all for that. I like making babies. That's fine. And then you have a baby, and you realize, I'm exhausted. This is not fun. All babies do is, like, eat and cry and poop and throw up. And every time I want to have a super burrito, it gets cold because the baby's eating and crying and pooping and throwing up. And, And so you go down a path, and it's like, this is so hard. Because fairy tales, not real life, fairy tales, fairy tales say that if you find the right person, everything will be all right. But that's a fairy tale. How do fairy tales end? And they lived happily, happily ever after. Have you ever thought about your fairy tales, the ones that we grew up with, how jacked up they are? Think about this. Snow White. Snow White runs away from home, lives like a loner until she finds seven dudes <laughs> to move in with. She has this creepy witch come, and she dabbles in the occult by eating this apple. She falls into a coma, and then some random dude walks up to her in a coma and starts making out with her. Ew! Ew, that is so creepy. And she wakes up from a coma with some guy's lips locked on her, and she's like, husband material. (laughs) What? How about Cinderella? Cinderella, both parents dead. Stepmother, who, who... locks her in a room for multiple hours a day and won't let her out, who relegates her to indentured servitude, Cinderella, who makes her life talking to and holding mice. And then she goes to a dance, meets a dude. He picks her up, throws her on the back of a horse, and takes her to his castle. She's going to have major trust issues. And the first time she brings one of those mice into bed, he's going to be ticked. That is weird, weird. Here's my favorite, Beauty and the Beast. Borderline bestiality. I didn't write the screenplay. I just watched the movie. Okay, so forget that. How about the guy has major rage issues? He locked her in a cage, made her a slave because her dad picked a flower yells and screams, rages on her. You don't eat with me. You don't eat with anybody. She's like, oh, be still my heart. (laughs) He should be locked up for domestic violence. But in the end, what are they doing? Mm, And they lived happily ever after. And we watch it, and we listen to it, and we think, you know what I need? I just need to find some woman in a coma to make out with. (laughs) And then everything will be great. So what I want to do today, and this is, honestly, this is my win. This is my win, so just be aware. You're like, where's the Bible? We'll get there. Here's my win. I want to debunk the right person myth. That's my win for today. If you walk out of here and you think, I should really re- relook at that whole right person myth. We've won, and we've started the groundwork for our conversation 
for the next month. Because today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the difference between finding the right person, which is what everyone thinks we ought to do, versus becoming the right person. I, I would argue that this is the secret sauce to a healthy marriage, to a healthy relationship. But if we're single, we're told that this is the win. If I can just find the right person, everything will be all right. I remember in college, I dated a woman for two years, and we broke up. She broke, she broke up with me for good reasons, broke my heart. I mean, like, oh. And my pastor <laughs> gathered me, and she said to me, she said, Kevin, I think— and by the way, I was a serial monogamist— uh, for most of my relationship, which meant one relationship to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. I did not know what it meant to be single from the time I was in fifth grade up until that point at 21. You think I'm exaggerating. Nope. And so my pastor said to me, she said, Kevin, you should take a year off of dating. I said, well, a year off? I'm sorry. Did you say a day off of dating? Because that feels like a lot a year off. And here's what I want you to do in this year off. I want you to heal. Heal. You're hurting. Your heart's broken. Heal. And I want you to work on figuring out who you are, not in relation to someone else. Who you are in relation to your creator and who you are in your personhood, it was the best advice that anyone's ever given me. That one year became almost three years. Three years for a guy at 20, I was just under 21, so 20 years old. So 20, 21, 22, into 23. Now some of you are thinking, that's like prime time. Let me tell you, all of my friends, to a person, were in relationships. I was that guy. On my own, on a Friday night, while they all went on group dates, while they all had fun. I was that guy crying in my Cheerios in the morning, working through my crap. I just heard my wife laugh. That's funny. (laughs) The next person I dated was this smoking hot babe named Maria Slevin. And when I met her, I did not have to pray that God would bring me the right person because I had spent three years figuring out who I was. And I'm telling you, it's the thing that prepared us. Maria asks me, we'll be married for 12 years next month. 12 years. Yeah, you can clap. Thank you. Thank you. And she'll ask me sometimes, Kev, how did you, like, how'd you figure out this, like, emotional intelligence stuff, internal stuff? Like, what is it? You seem to have a head start on me. And I said, well, because I, I had three years of not dating anyone. She, she dated, not inappropriately, but she dated all the way through. And in my early 20s, I didn't. And so I tell people all the time, I tell singles, consider being single for a year. I've been saying this for 16 years. I've had one dude take me up on it. One guy. I'll be single for a year. You know what happened? Three months later, he met the woman of his dreams, and he cursed me. And he stayed the course, and now they're married with two kids. Because listen, if you become the right person, the right person will be coming after you. Let me ask you this question. Are you the person that the person you're looking for 
is looking for. Because let me tell you, let me leave a little secret. Singles, singles, lean in. Come on, I can see you. Lean in. Lean in. Let me tell you a secret. The person you're looking for is thinking the exact same thing you're thinking. If I can just find the right person, everything will be all right. If I, they'll, they'll be the solution. I, then I won't have to worry about it anymore. All my stuff will just love. Nope, nope. Are you the person, the person you're looking for, is looking for? Here's what I would say to you, friends, if you're single. I want for you to become the right person. What if you spent this next season not hunting for the right person, not looking for the right person, not even praying for the right person? Because what a tragedy— If you spent all your time praying that you'd find the right person and you found them, but you weren't the right person for them. You spent all your time praying and none of your time becoming. Oh man, you'd be heartbroken and I'd be heartbroken for you. My win for you is that if and when you're looking for the right person, that you would be the person, the person you're looking for is looking for. Now here's the thing. The Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot about how to hunt for the right person. There's one story in the Older Testament of the Bible where a dude shows up with a camel at a well and he says, God, show me who my wife should be. If she waters my camel at the well, she's the one for me. So if you're here today and you have a camel and you find a well, go for it. Go for it. Try try it out. Maybe God will do it. For the rest of us, the Bible doesn't give you a whole lot of help about how to find the right person, but there's good news. The pages of the New Testament specifically talk a whole lot about becoming the right person. And I want to take us to a passage today that, if you've been to a wedding, it's probably been read at more weddings than you uh, care to know. Uh, It's called the love chapter in a letter called 1 Corinthians. And actually, in your programs, you should have one of these. If you don't, we'll get you more in the back. And it's actually got the whole thing on the back of it. So you can look at that. You can look up on the screens. This whole chapter in 1 Corinthians is about who you are becoming as a single. If you're married, this whole thing right here, it's just a great check-in. Am I that kind of person? Because if you're married, if you're expecting the right person to be the one to change everything, you know this. It ain't gonna happen. So I wanna walk us through, and it's a whole big list, which is why I would encourage you, take this home, Put it somewhere where you can see it every morning. If you're married, put it somewhere where you see it before you, like, interact with your spouse. Okay, put it by your coffee machine. Put it—oh, never mind. I'm gonna—it's just flowing out of me. Put it in the bathroom. Come on. We all know where we go. And then just read it. If you're single, wherever you get ready for dates, put this up before you go out. Just read it. It starts off like this. Love, love is patient. Single people, your married friends would tell you, "Um, I thought if I found the right person, I'd never have to be patient again because they're the right person. And when you find the right person, you don't have to be patient because everything is perfect. Eh, Wrong. Patient. Patient means I can take a deep breath. I don't have to always be going. Patient means that the person that I'm looking for, recognizing they're in process as well, that they aren't perfect. And so my job is to allow them to be in process, and their job is to allow me to be in process. Love is 
Love is patience. Love, patience, um, patience is you go on a date, and it's okay to wait. Sit with that for a second. Patience is good things come to those who wait. It's not pressing an issue before it's time. That's patience. Love is kind. It's not harsh, critical. It's not demanding. And this is, by the way, this is all about becoming. Who's the person I'm becoming? Guys, you go on a first date with a gal, and you realize partway through, this is not going well. There's not going to be a second date. But you end the date, like, hey, I'll call you. Thanks. That was so much fun. Kindness is not losing their number and never calling her back while she's waiting. Kindness is calling her up the next day or a couple days later and saying, hey, I had a really nice time, but I don't see this relationship going further. I just want you to know so you're not sitting there waiting for me. And you're thinking to yourself, singles, yeah, but I don't owe her that. But that's not about her. It's about you becoming kind. It's not about him. Love does not envy. Envy, envy says, if I don't feel good, I have to push you down to make myself feel better. Love is not about pushing. Love's about propping. The only way that I know how to get through this is to allow another person to shine. And we can do this in all of our relationships. It's so hard when we feel insecure about ourselves, our job, our relationship, money, clothing, appearance. It's so hard to not look at other people and envy them. We put them up, but then we feel bad And so we do everything we can to push them down. The only way I know how to break the power of envy, allow her to share her whole story. Allow him to tell the story wrong. This is hard for me. I'm a fact guy. I like to make sure the stories are told correctly. Let him share. Let him shine. Let him rise. Celebrate their wins. Even if it feels hard. How about this? Love doesn't boast. Love's not proud. Love doesn't talk of the opposite sex as a trophy or a conquest or something to be attained. Love, love talks about people as image bearers of a creator, as daughters and sons of of a God who is infinitely powerful and is up in heaven shining his lightning bolt. Get it? Nope. Okay. Love. How about, let's go to this one. This one's a big one. Love does not dishonor. Ladies. See, some of my friends said to me, by the way, some of my single friends said, Kevin, thank you for doing a series to singles. And I said, well, wait till it's over. Then tell me if you're thankful. Uh, Hey, married people, this is for you. This is for me. Love does not dishonor. Ladies, um, you go out with a guy. He's a chump. He takes you to Taco Bell. You hit the cheap movie theaters in Santa Rosa for a movie you've already seen. He calls you an Uber and makes you pay for it on the way home. He's a chump. There's no date number two. 
But love does not go to your girlfriends and tell them all what a chump he is. It was the worst date ever. That guy was horrible. He took me to this horrible thing, and he did this horrible thing. He made me catch an Uber home. I liked the Uber driver better than I liked that guy. <laughs> Ladies, that's dishonorable. You are dishonoring him. Yeah, he's a bad dater. He's got some more becoming to do. Love does not speak uh, about men as these immature little whatevers. Love honors. Here's some other words. Love does not behave disgracefully. Wouldn't it be nice, ladies, to go on a date and not have to worry about how the night was going to end? To not have to worry about if he was going to press his advantage? To know he was paying for dinner with no ulterior motives other than to just honor you? That'd be, that'd be lovely. Now, right now, some of you are thinking, that's so boring. What a it's like the bo- most boring dates ever. Kevin, how did you get Maria? It's a good question. Let me ask you this. If your parents are divorced, do you wish your dad was a little kinder to your mom? Do you wish your mom was a little more honoring to your dad? Could it have made a difference in their marriage? This is not romantic. Romance, and I've said this before, romance is the caboose of the train. Romance is not the engine. And we get confused because uh, when we start off in relationships, chemistry makes romance feel like the engine, and it is the thing that drives us. But in marriage, in long-term committed relationships, love, respect, honor, kindness, that's the engine of the marriage. And romance rolls into the station a little bit later. No, it's not romantic. It's not romantic. But it is the secret to a healthy relationship. Love is not self-seeking. But wait a minute, Kevin. Isn't the point of dating to seek and find the right person? It is in the world of romantic comedies. And it is in the world of fairy tales. And it is in the world at large. But no. The point of dating is about becoming I got no problem with dating. I, I think you should date. There was this whole movement in the 90s. It was so weird. It was like, um, Jesus is my boyfriend, and I'm not going to date anybody else, and I kissed dating goodbye. All these girls did this whole, like, I'm not going to date anymore. And I was like, this stinks. Um, that's ridiculous. That's, that's ridiculous. Okay. If you date well, you can date. Let's go back one slide. Let's go back one slide. Friends, if we can date honorably, here's what you're saying. I might be a lot of things, but I'm not going to be her regret. I might be a lot of things, but when he tells his story about his past girlfriends, I'm not going to be a regret. I might be a lot of things, but I'm not going to have to go back to my 10-year high school reunion and apologize to people. And let me tell you, friends, as a guy who did have to apologize to a lot of people. I wish someone would have told me this unromantic thing about dating. I went to a mega church when I first started following Jesus at 17, and I, I legitimately tried to reinstate the holy kiss in my mega church. And I had to go back to a lot of people in my hometown. Say, I'm so sorry. 
that I acted disrespectfully, dishonorably. I'm sorry that when you tell your story about the people you dated, chances are I might be a regret. Friends, I don't want that for you. All right, love is not self-seeking because love's about becoming. And I love the way Paul ends this section. It's so good. It's so good. He says this, when I was a child, I talked like a child. Of course you did. You're a child. That's what children do. They talk like children. I thought like a child. Well, of course you thought like a child. You were a child. I reasoned like a child, obviously. But when I became a man or a woman or an adult, I put away, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Now remember, this is the bottom of the love chapter. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not boast. It does not envy. Love is not self-seeking. He says, when I was a kid, I thought like a kid. I acted like a kid. I reasoned like a kid. When I became an adult, I put the ways of childhood behind me. What are the childhood views of love? And they lived happily ever after. If I can find the right person, everything will be all right. Here's the crazy paradox of love. In order to live happily ever after, we have to put away our childhood visions of love and romance and recognize that true love is about honor, respect, kindness, humility. And that's the engine of the train. And romance and happily ever after, that's the caboose that comes into the station. If you're married and you're in a tough relationship right now, I have good news for you. Relationships where one of you is trying to become the kind of person who loves selflessly, they can survive oftentimes. And if you're the person trying to become, you will be more fulfilled. You will be happier you will be more centered. Marriages that thrive are about two individuals seeking to become the kind of person that the kind of person they're looking for is looking for. And coming into a relationship saying, I'm never going to stop becoming. Next week, I want to talk to my single fellas in here. Single fellas, where are you? I want to talk to you. Don't have to raise your hand. I mean, you can if you want to. There's a lot of single ladies. So you can raise your hand if you want to. Single guys, next week, I'm going to talk about the thing that will put you head and shoulders above every guy out there on the market. I'm telling you, you don't have to be the best looking. You don't have to make the most money. You don't have to drive the nicest car. You don't. You don't have to do it. If you do this one thing, you'll be the guy, and all the single women will be like, oh, he's the best. Single guys, you've got to be here next week. Bring your friends. Moms and dads, bring your sons. Beg them. Bribe them. Bring them. Bring your daughters. All my single ladies. All my single ladies. All my single ladies. You deserve the kind of guy we're talking about. And fellas, you deserve to be the kind of guy we're talking about. Next week's message is entitled Gentleman's Club. You don't want to miss it. Let me pray for us, and then we'll go.
God, would you help us to become the women and the men that you designed for us to be for our joy and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a great week, you guys. We'll see you next time. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.